okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got past that. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it, Glenn. Sit cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. Along with me is Lane Gillespie. Happy Monday to you. This is uh, my final week before I leave for a... Bit of time. I'm going to be heading out to uh, Germany, heading overseas, starting this weekend. So, I think you uh, made a few people nervous by slowly saying that you're only going to be yeah. gone for a couple of weeks and not, what, it's his final week here? <laughs> I'm gone forever for two weeks. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, Lane and maybe some others will we'll have you covered over the two weeks that I'm gone, but... Let's do it well over this last week that I am here. Uh, by the way, I did want to make mention before we get into some of this stuff, we are going to have Bill Self Audio to share for you throughout the day. David Lesky is going to talk Royals with us and join us at 340. Um, John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant is going to help break down what we're going to talk about here in the open a little bit more. Uh, big weekend for KU football recruiting-wise. We've got other stuff to get to as well. Case of the Mondays, NBA Finals talk, and so forth. But uh, the Rock Truck Round Ball Classic, Raised a ton of money over the weekend. We talked a lot about the event and everything. Friday night was the dinner. Saturday was the bowling. I wasn't at the bowling. I heard it went uh, excellently. I heard that everything went well and uh, that it was a good time for everyone. Um, I saw a cool video that Brian Haney posted out there about uh, Jake, one of the recipients. Yeah, yeah he he bowled a... Uh, he, I think he uh, needed to beat like Devonte Graham on a shot or something, and he did. And and it, Devonte said he'd give like an extra fifteen hundred or something like that. Uh, so that was kind of a cool event. And I don't know what they ended up making over the course of the weekend. I do know this because I was at the dinner Friday night. I do know that they made over two hundred thousand dollars wow. this year because that I believe is what they needed to get to over $1 million. I I, I might be wrong with the 200000 so I, I guess I shouldn't say that for sure. But I do know for a fact they are over $1 million all time now. That's awesome. Yeah, great Absolutely stuff. Absolutely incredible. Great stuff. So that was uh, something that happened on Friday, which means they're probably even more over that considering you have the bowling event and everything that happened there. So great cause and everything, and you can check out if you're interested in the cause or maybe making a donation of your own or you know just – kind of learning more about it. Obviously, it happens every year, so it'll be again next year. It's rockchalkroundballclassic.com. As I mentioned, though, it was a big weekend for KU football. They picked up three commitments over the weekend. Uh, Two of them were for the class of 2023. The other was for the class of 2022. So Jared Sample um, is a receiver. They also added another receiver for the class of 2023 and i i don't know the proper pronunciation of this name saraz bunkum saraz bunkum something like that i I would assume both those guys are class of 2023 receivers and then the class of 2022 player is uh tristan fletcher and again i don't know if it's because it's spelled t-r-i-s-t-i-a-n tristan yeah right tristan like christian or is it like Tristian? I don't know. I'm just going to go Tristan. Maybe they just messed up on the birth certificate and spelled wrong. Uh, no, that's probably mean to the parents. Nonetheless, um, 
<laughs> he is a class of 2022 wow, player. I know, right? Going at it early. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, we go from talking about charity to, you know, me making fun of spelling of, of kids' names. Nonetheless, um, let's start with the class of 2022 kids. So that would be Fletcher. I guess I'll just say the last name. Uh, he's a he's a linebacker, a little bit undersized for the linebacker position from what you think. Six foot, 215 pounds. He is out of Trinity Valley Community College, originally from Houston, Texas, and doesn't have a, a grade on the 24-7 sports or, or the composite. I think sometimes it can be a little harder to find grades on the JUCO guys. It's one thing for the high school guys. I don't know if a, a grade's incoming over the next day or two for him. Um you look at the offer offer list, and it doesn't jump off the page. I think he was previously committed to Sam Houston State, which I will say this. Sam Houston State is like an absolute powerhouse at the FCS level. But again, you're not looking at that and going, oh, so why would that be power five level? He had interest from Louisiana Tech and stuff. And, um, you know, this this one feels like to me it's it's you're adding some depth. The linebacker position was, was probably KU's biggest weak link, link in terms of last season. And uh, I should also mention that an offer from Louisiana Tech, which has been like a solid non-Power 5 or Group of 5 team. Um, so he, he adds depth. More so, this is a guy that I, I don't really expect to be like probably maybe even on the two deep this year, but he has three years left to play. He's a uh, a qualifier that he can play right away, and he has up to four years if you redshirt him. So if you redshirt the kid this year, then you have three more years of play with him. It's like you brought in a high school freshman, essentially, except he has a little bit more development to it. So, uh, you know, that that just makes sense. That has some depth right away, a guy that you can possibly have for a long period of time. This isn't the Juco guy you're bringing in for two years. And that continues to be a theme that continues to be a strong thing that the staff seems to be doing here, that all these guys they're bringing in from the transfer portal have three, four years left, uh, you know, there's a few exceptions like Eric Gillard and stuff. For the most part, these guys all have plenty of years remaining, which is obviously important because you don't want to be in a situation where you were with Charlie Weiss, where you're bringing on all these JUCO guys and then some of them don't play, some of them academically don't work out, some of them just leave the team and you're left wanting for scholarships or after two years they're gone. This gives KU a chance to bring in college-ready talent right now while also being able to develop them long-term. Yeah, you just said it. I was about to say, you know, it's great to bring in guys that have a lot of years left of eligibility while at the same time bringing in guys who have experience, albeit not quite Division One level or Power 5 level, mind you, but it's always great to bring in experience, especially when the linebacker circle is, I wouldn't say thin, but it's definitely not the heart and soul of the defense other than probably Gavin Potter. Yeah, yeah, you, you got to bring in more talent there, so that made sense. Uh, the other two guys, the receivers I mentioned, uh, Siraz Bunkum, six foot four. He has great height wow. for a wide receiver. He's uh, from Modern Day Catholic, which Modern Day is is one of the biggest uh, talent producing high schools in Southern California. For a while, it would be like Modern Day in Southern California, De La Salle in Northern California, that were kind of the two powerhouses. Modern Day is in an insanely tough high school division. Um, so it it, it kind of rotates nowadays when you have these other like great teams. But point is, he's at a very big high school class of 2023 receiver. He is in the 24-7 composite listed uh, right outside the top 1,000 overall. He's ranked the 86th best player in the state of California. He is listed number 96 as far as athletes. I guess I should mention that he is listed as an athlete. I was, so. I was just about to mention that. Does that kind of change the mind of him a little bit? Or is that just being nitpicky over what's read on a piece of paper? No, I mean, I guess that could tell you that hypothetically, I don't know, maybe he could be um, 
something else. Maybe they have plans for him to play another position, but 6'4", 175, you, you know, that's not like a running back. That's not, I don't know. I, I feel like he would play receiver. That's been most of his tape in uh, high school. And, and this guy had some other big offers there. You, you look at the offer sheet, there's 16 offers, and um, you have schools that are, you know, either power fives or maybe are close to being power fives. Like Boise State's not a power five, but they play at a power five level. BYU is going to be in the Big 12 next year. Colorado, Duke, those are power five. Kansas State had an offer out on him. Oregon had an offer out on him. Oregon State, Pittsburgh, San Diego State. Like, you go down the list. He's got a really good list of offers. So this was a big get for KU. By all accounts, this sounds like he was, if not at the top of the board, and and that seems to be the conversation that maybe he was the top receiver they were trying to get. So that's big time that you lock him in at this early portion, and you can kind of figure out from here, okay, if we have X amount of scholarships that we're going to give out to this position and that position, which receiver, I don't know how many scholarships they were going to have remaining to give out to begin with right that's big time because now you can focus on those kind of other positions and other areas but by all accounts this guy seems like he could be a uh, a really good player down the road and then the other guy you get another receiver jared sample who a little bit shorter five foot ten 165 pounds uh known for his speed he is out of cypress texas cy ranch high school class of 2023 again does not have a grade on him but again, if you look at the offer list, it's it's some good teams on there. You have Houston, who again will this guy's class of 2023. By the time he joins college, Houston will be a member of the Big 12. So that is a power five offer, theoretically. Uh he also has some other offers like, you know, Tulsa, Tulane, Navy, Memphis, who's always been a really good passing offense. Um but a guy that it's always interesting to me when when a power five school or a team like Kansas maybe offers a guy or, or com- gets a commit from a guy like this who he's unrated. He's not listed as a top 1,500 or, or whatever cr- commit. And it, it, it's it's two things can happen there. It's one, you're either betting on the guy, because keep in mind, he's going to go into his senior year of high school. You're either betting on the guy saying, you know, he hasn't shown, I think, as much on tape as he could be. Like, he's a solid player in high school now. I'm telling you, based on this or that, based on these physical traits or, or whatever, He's going to go off his senior year, and when he goes off his senior year, all of a sudden, people are going to be looking at him and saying, man, he's he's a guy we really want, but we got in on him early, so it's taking that risk, or sometimes it can just be we found a diamond in the rough, and, and whichever one of those it would be, like that would be obviously a good thing for KU. So you get two talented receivers and a big weekend that was. Sounds like there could be some more decisions coming soon for KU football. Calvin Clements was visiting, and that seemed to go pretty well for a guy from Free State. Really big offensive tackle uh, prospect, really good player. Got to see him a lot at Free State. Like That would be a huge get if you were able to keep him in town, and I'm sure the visit will uh, hopefully, you would think, go a long way in determining that. But what's interesting the most for me out of these commitments is that those two guys you bring in for the class of 2023, both are receivers. And KU has already said in the past, Lance Leipold said this back, I don't know, in February or something like that, that they have been over-scholarshiped at receivers. And obviously, things have happened since then. Guys have transferred out of the program um, that don't make it totally congruent to where it was back at the early beginning of this season. But obviously, if that's the case... Like, that has to mean one of two things. And honestly, this this makes it so that the guys you took here, it makes me even more confident in what they think they could be or what they think they could develop them into. Because that either means that you were like, yeah, we are kind of full up on scholarships or receiver, 
But these guys are so good, I don't care. I don't care. We bring them on, we deal with the talent, we figure it out from there. Or it just means that, because there, there are no players on the KU roster at receiver that are listed as seniors. So there's nobody right. that you would look at and say, he's graduating, I'm taking his spot. Uh, it could just be we, we assume there's going to be more attrition because that's how the transfer portal works. Or it could just also be you know that first thing I said. And if it is that first thing, then um, I think you would feel really, really good about where you're at. But I don't know. Maybe that was always the plan. Maybe always the plan was to bring in two receivers or, or something like that for the next class. But I, I, I can't imagine they're going to bring on many more, if any more, maybe one more receiver for the class of 2023. So yeah, I think you're right. Uh, it could also be this. Just kind of raises the question. This is just speculation in my mind. Not saying it's going to happen. Do you think they're going to move some people around, uh, position wise? I mean, like like we talked about, you know, uh, Saraz Buncombe. He's he's listed as an athlete because he was a D back in uh, in high school, or I guess still is. But he was a D back as well. So is it possible they could move him there too? I mean, it'd be nice to have a tall defensive back against the big time receivers in the Big Twelve. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't hurt. It, it could definitely be something they're talking about. I mean, it sounds like the plan is to play him at receiver, so I don't know. But like I said, I think you just you take on as, as much good talent. You, you target these guys. You scout these guys. You try to figure out who you want the most. You prioritize them. And if you get them, if they tell you, hey, I want to come there, and you think they're talented, you think they're good, you figure out the rest later. You, you just make it work. You just do. Also, I have one more question because a lot of these commits that we've seen – are listed as commits before their official visit. What do you think that says? Um, I mean, I because you, because usually a lot of places you you visit and then hey, I want to come yeah, here. Yeah, of but, course. But it's listed that Buncombe's visit is not going to be till the twenty second, and uh, I haven't seen samples yet. But still, yeah, I mean, it, so like I I think. From a certain standpoint, it can scare you a little because it's like, okay, this guy's still going to be going on college visits. Is he going to be visiting other places too? And like, are we sure he's locked in? Because I and, and and you never know with the kid. Like I remember this was maybe a year ago, two years ago. There was a kid who committed to KU for football, and in the message, a thousand percent committed. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm not lying about that. He said I'm a thousand percent committed to KU. A couple weeks later, he decommitted from KU. So right. like, you know. It, yeah, something like that. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's just something that worked out. Like he is from California, so it's it's not as easy to, you know, find time maybe to come out for a visit. Like that would clearly make sense as well. Um, Jared Sample did official uh, did have an official visit before mm -hmm. his commitment, so that kind of helps out there. Yeah, I I think if anything, it just shows you that in certain situations too. Like some of the coaches just have really good connections, and right. in certain areas and. Sometimes that matters a lot in terms of getting stuff done like this. Uh, he is Lane Gillespie. I am Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. David Lesky going to join us in 20 minutes. Coming up next, Bill Self spoke with the media earlier today at a KU Media Availability. We're going to share that over the course of the show. We'll share part one for you coming up on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Lesky of Inside the Crown to talk Royals baseball here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWNs, Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Vinny Pascantino, at least as of now, you know, who knows, breaking news could still happen during our show or during this interview or something, has not been called up for the Royals despite how well he's been playing. We talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, Cal Eldridge, Eldred, excuse me, still has not been fired despite that being a talking point for months and months and years and years now. Um, 
What do you think happens first? Pascantino gets called up or Cal Eldridge gets let go? Oh, I think it's Pascantino. Uh, I mean, Cal Eldridge's got a job for life, apparently. So, um, yeah, I mean, even if Pascantino gets called up in 2028, he's he's before Cal Eldridge. <laughs> so we're, that, that, that's where we are in life right now. <laughs> but in all honesty, like, do you think Cal Eldridge for sure like makes it through the season at this point? Um. No, I don't think it's for sure. I think that at some point, um, yeah, I say that. I, I was going to say at some point you, you you get to you just can't ignore it anymore. But I mean, they've completely ignored it to this point. So <laughs> I guess I guess I don't entirely know what would have to go wrong. Um, just so funny. I mean, I'm funny in a I'm going to cry way of. You know, Dayton Moore talking about, well, you got to give him credit for Daniel Lynch, who now has an 8.25 ERA <laughs> since that comment. Um, they also talk about Brad Keller as the as the guy who Cal Elder really gets. He, you know, he, he's that guy. Well, Brad Keller has been terrible now, too, for a while. I, I mean, I think, I think it's a baseball god saying, hey, man, you can't do this. You can't say this about Cal Eldred. We're going to smack you down. I apologize. There's there's some shrapnel that hits some of your pitchers. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know how. The fact is I don't know how he's kept his job to this point. So I don't know how you can predict him getting fired because it's been bad for five years. So what needs to change? I don't know. Hmm. Well, that is uh, what you said. You know, <laughs> laughing in a sad way is. Uh... Like that's the perfect theme right there for for the Royals season and, and what has been over these past couple of years. Um, I don't know. I guess positive. What made Ryan Heasley so good last start? John Heasley. Um, you no, know, he um, <laughs> he threw his fastball well. Really, I mean, it's just it's kind of as simple as that. He really had everything working, which was the um, you know, it's hard to be bad when all of your pitches are working. Um, and he actually had command. He was. He was just, he was the guy that I've seen in the minors that I'd literally never seen in the majors, both spring training and regular season. And so yeah, this is a guy, he, he throws strikes. Um, he's got some good, good enough movement. He's got some good enough velocity. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily see a, a frontline starter there, um, but you don't need to have five number ones. You need to have a number four and a number five and a number three, you know. And, and, and I think he's got three, four upside um when he's got his command working, and he did. He, he, he was putting the fastball where he wanted to put it. Um, you know, he, he just he, he was he was fantastic, and, and he got some help from his defense for sure. Um, but I don't think you. I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a, a pitcher who gives up one hit in seven innings and doesn't have a great defensive play behind him. Um, so yeah, I, I think the the biggest thing, command, but. But, you know, this is something that's kind of been building for him because his last two starts before it, he gave up three runs in six innings, um, walked three, two, well, not three starts ago, um, walked two the start after that, and then didn't walk anybody in this start. And so maybe he's just getting that comfort level at the big league level. And for him, it's coming at a really good time because Zach Greinke made a rehab start yesterday. And (laughs) through five innings, he only threw 49 pitches, so maybe he probably needs at least one more. But – Royals are going to have a decision to make. And, and, and Heasley was a guy who I think was on the bubble. And now um, I actually think it's, I mean, right now the obvious choice to move is Daniel Lynch, which is a really bad look for Dayton Moore. But 
you know, that doesn't matter. The results are the results. When you look at the way that some of the Royals hitting has, uh, you know, and you look at some individuals and, and since uh, the change at, at hitting coach, there have been some positive movement for different players. If you look at, you know, OPS or batting average or, or whatever you want to look at, do you attribute a good amount of that to the change at hitting coach? Do you attribute it to the players? Like like maybe some guys just starting off slow and they were always going to revert to the mean. Do you attribute it to what we're kind of seeing MLB wide right now, which is, you know, as, as much as we talked about the lack of offense at the start of the season, um, I think we're probably seeing now that the weather's getting hotter, like all these humidors that are being added into all these ballparks, you know, that, that makes things when it's not as humid, it's going to make it more of a pitching environment. But now that um, it is getting hot and it is more humid, it's actually going to make it more of a hitting environment. How much do you think uh, of any of those things I kind of mentioned do you attribute to some of the progressions individually of Royals hitters here? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all of it, which is not the best answer, obviously, but um, you know, I, I think from from the new hitting coaches, um, and it's really easy to say Alex Zumwa, but it, it's Tozar and Duran was already there and all that. But everything that I, I've heard about them is that you would be hard pressed to find a more prepared set of coaches. Um, and, and, I, and I think when you look at the Royals' early inning struggles; they scored like what was it, eight runs or something in the first five weeks of the season in the first inning. I mean, that's, that's pathetic. Um, and you're starting to see them come out of the gates, actually scoring some runs. And they score on relievers. When relievers come in, they don't have to wait for an inning. You know, it, it, it's a lot of things that I think uh, Terry Bradshaw didn't do very well. And, and I think that the Royals hitters are more prepared than they were under Terry Bradshaw. And some of that is just a message thing. We talked about this. They received the message from Zumwalt and Tozar and Duran better than they received it from Bradshaw. Very simple. Nobody's fault. Just it kind of is what it is. Um, and so I think that's part of it. I think that some of it is one of the things that these guys teach the most is not so much, yes, taking balls and swinging at strikes, but taking balls and swinging at the right strikes. I have seen, and I haven't looked at the numbers recently, so I don't know what the, what the actual data says, but I have seen so many better strike takes over the last two or three weeks than I had to start the season. And, you know, by that, I mean the guy, the pitches on the edges of the plate. You know, there, if you're, I don't know, MJ Mendez, for example, and a pitch is on the outside corner on a 2-0 count and it's called a strike, the numbers say, well, he didn't swing at a strike. Okay, yeah, but what, what damage can he do on that pitch? And it's none. And so he took it. And that's a really good take even though it makes a count two and one. And I've seen a lot more of that from guys over the last, like I said, two or three weeks. But, I mean, yeah, part of it too. The the offense is just up because the weather is better. I mean, nobody wanted to hear the weather as an excuse, but it was it was a reasonable excuse. The Royals played in some terrible weather. Every, a lot of teams did. And offense way down. Well, it's warm now, and, and balls are flying out of the yard everywhere. So I think, I think that's some of it, but... You know, since, since the new hitting coaches, the Royals have a 108 weighted runs created plus. 100 is average, so they're 8% better. That's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, that, that the Royals haven't been above average in offense in a long, long time. And, yeah, it's only, what, four weeks now, I think. Um, but it's a good start. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what goes on from this point forward. 
Has Michael A. Taylor been the unsung hero, albeit of a bad situation, so it's hard to be like a hero when, you know, like imagine if we had the movie Avengers, but every movie, like everybody's just getting like murdered and like every city's blowing up around them. Uh, is, is that kind of situation though? Like is Michael A. Taylor the, the hero of this Royals team right now, the unsung hero, I should say? Yeah, he's been good. I mean, I, you know, we, I think we talked about this about a month ago um, before he went on that COVID list, but um the walk rate was up. The strikeout rate was down. Those are two numbers that stabilize a lot faster than other numbers. So I was curious about it, and it, they, they've stayed. I mean, yeah, you know, they fluctuate here and there, but he's walking a ton. He's not striking out. He's he's a fast guy, and so making contact helps him a lot. Um, we hadn't really seen the power from him, um, and then this weekend, I think he had a two homers and a double. I believe I think he had a double at some point this weekend. Maybe that was. During the Blue Jays series, but either way, he's he's hitting the ball hard again, um, playing great defense. I mean, man, that that two years and nine million for what he's done, that was kind of derided, and looks like a really really good deal now. It was always a good deal, honestly, because of the way he plays defense. But uh, the way the bats come, yeah, and you know, it's funny because you say, well, why is he hitting ninth then or eighth or set whatever he is on a given day? I mean, I think it's, he's comfortable there. And I, and, I, and I feel like one of the few things Mike Matheny does really well, I think he keeps guys in their comfort zone, and it might be an extra week before he moves them up. I remember Nicky Lopez last year was just, I mean, he was constantly on base out of that number nine spot before he moved up to number two. And, you know, Mike Lee Taylor is working. Where, where he is is working. It helps that the rest of the offense is kind of fine, so he doesn't need to be – um, I need to be that number two hitter or whatever, but yeah, he's he's been really good. And you know, if the Royals are smart, and I think that that's a big if, but if they're <laughs> smart, they should be shopping him because there there is a lot of value in that in the gloves specifically. But if the bat's real, whoo, there's, they'll get something for him. Yeah, I mean that's that's one thing that that could be very exciting with this team once we get to the deadline is there like actually are a, a lot of movable pieces but like you said it's kind of remains to be seen if if they actually take advantage of all that which brings me to my next question with the way that MJ Melendez is playing right now I I know this might be a little sacrilegious to some Royals fans because he has you know been a face of the team for so long do you think the Royals would and do you think the Royals should listen to offers on Salvador Perez um they won't um, I don't know if they should or not because, uh, like, my first inclination is yes, they should. Um, but then, then you start to think about it. MJ Melendez, he, he's the bat's been great, um, but he has been iffy behind the plate. I will say, um, I think that some of that is just not getting regular reps um, you know, for a young guy going to right field, a position he's barely played, and has made that great catch on Friday night. Um, and then back to behind the plate, and then it's the and catch. It's just, I think it's tough. And so I don't think it's entirely fair to say, oh, he can't catch. But he's been bad behind the plate. I mean, the numbers are there. You can you watch games. Balls are getting by him. He's sailing throws. Um, but, again, he, I think he's been a better defensive catcher in the minors. So I wonder, if, like I said, if, that, if some of that is just the back and forth. Um, the problem with shopping Salvador Perez is he's owed $82 million or whatever is left minus from the first three months of the season or whatever. So 
it'd be hard to find a team with the way he's hit this year who would who would be all for it. Um, but you know, if you get maybe not this year, maybe it's maybe it's this time next year. Melendez is more established. Salvi's back and better. I think there's an argument to be made that you can get a haul for that, and even if you need a little money and 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 be and get better on the other side. But again, they're not going to do it, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, uh, more likely to be traded then at the deadline. Um, hmm. Andrew Benintendi or Michael A. Taylor? Oh, Benintendi for sure. The Royals, <laughs> what, what, what they are notorious for is they only trade when they have to, and they have to trade Benintendi. Um, I mean, assuming they can't get him extended, which I don't think they can at this point. Because he's a free agent. Taylor's got next year. They're going to look at that and say, well, geez, if he's doing this this year, think about what we can get for him next year when he does that again. And then next year he hits 243, 287, and 371, and they get what they would have gotten last year for him. So I, I think Ben Benintendi is the one who's gone, not Taylor. Yeah, and I, I don't understand, to be honest, even why they would extend him because given the money that he's going to get, like, isn't it just worth it with the Royals' timeline to maybe get a prospect? I, I don't know. Uh, never. Yeah, well, I, I think I think if they had done it before the season, yeah, they probably could have gotten him for like four and forty-eight, maybe four and fifty-two. Which you look at, that's not bad. Um, but he's the season he's had. Yeah, he's fumbling right now. But I, and then yeah, you look ahead at the free agent outfielders. I have a tough time believing he's going to say, you know what? No, I don't want to try free agency. I'm going to stay with the <laughs> team on pace for 109 losses. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, okay, so we did this last week, started it up. It's a new tradition. It's now officially a tradition because we're doing it for a second time. Who is the Royals player of the week? You know, I knew you were going to ask this, and I still don't know because they, they, they had a nice week. Um, I, I think I'm going to say I'm going to go with MJ again because he had the great diving catch. Um, it's between him and Heasley for me, honestly. Um, but Melendez had that great diving catch. He hit the home run. He had a, had a few hits. Um, he, he's done a nice job. He, the numbers don't bear it out. Last week I looked. I was actually right. He was the best hitter on the team. So I feel good that I didn't even know it was coming, and I looked. Um, but, you know, he, he had a really nice week. Um, I wanted to also – Bobby Jr. <laughs> had a nice week, too. He's playing really well. It's nice that there's options, right? I mean, they, they've actually – what are they since we talked? They're, what, four and – no, no, just three. Three and four. Never mind. That's, that's better than usual, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with MJ Melendez, but honorable mention to Witt and Heasley. I'm glad you mentioned Bobby Witt Jr. because the bosses were coming down. They were knocking on the door down here, and they're like, hey, you haven't talked about Bobby Witt Jr. yet today. You have not fulfilled your quota, so thank you for doing that. <laughs> well, you gave it to it four times a day, right? I uh, usually, usually, but you know, okay. today it kind of slipped past us. We were too much yeah. talking about Vinny Pascantino and Michael A. Taylor, and I don't know if Bobby Wood Jr. talked for us, but maybe we'll get more next week. David, I appreciate you hopping on as always, man. Yeah, no problem. Talk to you next week. All right, that's David Lesky. Check out his work at Inside the Crown. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go with Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be back after this timeout for Case of the Mondays on RCST. Did you know that on our website, klwn.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. 
we have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card too. So just go to the website, click hometown deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How am I supposed to calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. All right. It is a Monday. Time for Case of the Mondays. Here Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Lane Gillespie. I am Derek Johnson. Lane, go ahead and cue the music. By the way, uh, update. It was Alex Bregman who won the Mike Trout Fantasy League that caused Tommy Pham to slap Jock Peterson. So Alex Bregman in a league where others were accused of cheating coming out with the win. That sounds familiar. Okay, first up, in case of the Mondays, one-sport athletes. Um, sorry, you're uh, you're falling behind, I guess. Conrad Hawley, who is a former quarterback for KU football, I think he won the uh, Simeon Award or whatever it's called. The I don't know. Uh, he is transferring. He's no longer with KU football. In fact, he's no longer with football at all. He transferred in conference to Iowa State to play basketball. I didn't even know the kid played basketball. I I would imagine it's got to be a walk-on, right? How do you get recruited, quote-unquote, to decide to play <laughs> basketball That's a good question. at a Power 5 conference, let alone the same conference that you were in for football? That's a good question, yeah, because when you enter the transfer portal, you wouldn't think that like a basketball coach is going to reach out to you and be like, hey, what do you think about, you know, it, that's the thing. It's, it's a multi-conversional transfer portal, I guess. Like, could you enter in as a basketball player and then, like, a baseball coach reaches out to you and is like, hey, I saw you're in the transfer portal. I, I want you. You're tall, and I don't know. I don't know what you would do with that. Um, yeah, that you don't see that happening. You you see guys who play multi-sports. You see, like, like Devin Neal, for instance. He plays football. Right. He plays baseball. Uh, you see other situations like that. Like, I remember Jameis Winston was, like, the closer for Florida State, and he was playing football, too. Um, you don't see guys... And again, you see that too, where like a guy is is like, hey, I'm playing both these sports. Again, Jameis Winston. And then you're like, after maybe a year of playing both, you're like, no, now I'm just going to focus on this. So you, you just pick one. You don't see guys change sports where they weren't playing the one sport before and just change it in college. And you definitely don't see that where you transfer and then change it. Like this is, right. this is very rare. Um, the guy was not getting on the field for KU football weren't really expecting him to. So good for him to go to basketball. Like I said, I don't know if this is like a walk-on thing or a scholarship thing. I Who the I, heck even knows how many minutes he's going to get? That's no, thing, right? no. Again, like if he's a walk-on, then it's... But whatever, good for him. Like, tip the cap to you. Uh, maybe he was in a situation where it was like, do I walk on? I have the ability to walk on at Iowa State, or I can play football at like the FCS level. And maybe in his head, he was like, you know, I'd rather walk on at a Power 5 university. Maybe that'll be more fun for him. So good for him. Just kind of a weird story. Uh, next up, Jurassic World Dominion is having a case of the Mondays. 
Not good reviews for the new Jurassic World. Have you watched the old Jurassic Parks? Have you seen all the movies? Have I you know, seen the new Jurassic World? I have not. I, I, I know some of the references. I haven't seen all of the older Jurassic Park movies. I've just, I've just seen snippets here and there. Uh, do you consider yourself a moviegoer, movie connoisseur? Not really. Okay. I mean, I want to be at some point. I'm just not that guy right now. Maybe we'll bring back the movie review and make Lane watch there we all go. these old movies. <laughs> um, so Jurassic World Dominion on IMDb got a 6 out of 10. So that's not terrible. Google users, 84%. So again, that's good. Rotten Tomatoes, though, only 30%. Ugh. That's really bad. Um, I'll say this, though. So I've seen all the Jurassic Parks, all the Jurassic Worlds. Uh, me and my wife just rewatched them all, in fact, to get ready for this movie. We haven't seen the new one. I think part of the reason we've been hesitant because of the horrible reviews. But I'll say this. like There have been movies before that I have seen, and they have horrible reviews. And I'm like, you know, I, I enjoyed that. And there are movies where it's like they got great reviews, and I'm just like, that was a snooze fest, right? We all have those. Um, that's the beauty of these things. It's it's almost like you're eating food. Like, I understand a grilled cheese is not the same level of dining as eating caviar. Right. But if I have both in front of me, I'm going for the grilled cheese over the caviar, right? So that said, with Jurassic World Dominion, it is getting bad reviews, which gives it a case of the Mondays. I will say for me personally, I'm not really sure I care. Because this is like something that happens whenever movies like this come out. Whether it's Jurassic World, whether it's like this. This happened a lot when uh, the Godzilla film or films have come out. And it's like people are like, oh, the dialogue is just, oh, like some of the, the writing and the script is just, it makes you want to melt your mind. And, you know, some of the character development is just not there. And it's like, okay, that's that's all good and well. And like an ideal world, yes, like the script and the conversation and everything, that would be great in addition to the stuff. But I'm not going to the movie theater to spend 10 bucks on a movie ticket to, you know, be just mentally enriched by the conversation having between these two characters. I am going there because I want to see big dinosaurs do big dinosaur things and smash things and eat things and fight each other. That's the same like Godzilla. I'm not going to see, you know... Uh, the storyline developed between this family and, and how they're going to get back together over the course of dealing with this mass. No, I'm going to watch Godzilla smash into King Kong <laughs> and fight each other. That's what I'm going to Jurassic World Do Dominion to see. So I, I, I withhold my right to change my mind on this because maybe even that stuff is bad. But if I go and, and the script isn't good and then the character development's not good, but that stuff is there, and the CGI is good, and the, the dinosaurs smashing each other is good. I don't really care, because that's what I'm going to the movie for. I'm more of a plot guy, unless it's a comedy movie, then it could go here, either here or there. Well, okay, um. I mean, like, if, <laughs> if you're asking me to watch, like, you know, an actual, like... I Like, if I'm watching a movie that is intended to have good plot, and it is intended to have good dialogue, then yes. But Fair. if I'm going to the movie to see Jurassic World Dominion, I'm not going under the guise. Like, that would be like me going to a KU basketball game and being like, you know, I really hope that we see some guys tackle each other today. It's like, <laughs> what What were you expecting? That It's the wrong sport. You're, it's, so that, that's how I feel on that. But again, I, I haven't seen it, so maybe it is that bad. Uh, next up, Lakers fans. Lakers fans are having a case of the Mondays, not just because... They're not in the NBA Finals right now, which They've they feel like. They've had a case like, of the Mondays for a while. Yeah, I feel like that's a rite of passage. Um, there was a video that they released. I don't really know what it was in regards to, but I just I just saw the clip that came out 
Anthony Davis is like hanging out with a couple dudes at some guy's house. It's like a backyard with a, a basketball hoop and, and stuff. And uh, they give the ball to Anthony Davis and they're asking him to like shoot around and stuff. And he like picks it up and he's like, man, this is the first time I touched a basketball since like May 5th or something like that. It's like, dude, you're a professional. Oh. <laughs> like what? Uh, this is not a guy who like tore his ACL. He's had all sorts of injury woes. He's had all sorts of injury concerns that have kept him off the court. But like, man, he uh, is not suffering like a, a injury that preventing him from touching a basketball, from at least getting shots up. And, and that is a big development that happened this year. I mean, Anthony Davis went from the year they win the title and the years that he's coming over from the Pelicans. Like, he is one of the maybe five best players in the NBA. At the very least, he's in the top ten for what he did. He's he's a switchable big man who can shoot. Like, he does so many things that are so difficult to teach. This past year, he wasn't nearly as good. He wasn't nearly as effective. And you have this injury stuff come up. And now he's not even practicing basketball anymore. Uh, Lakers fans have got to be feeling it a little extra today because if you're sitting there, you're going, LeBron's another year older. Anthony Davis doesn't even want to play basketball. What do we do here? What do we do? I mean, I kind of disagree a little bit, mainly just because, you know, let the guy relax. He just went through a long, brutal, injury-riddled season. Um, and, yeah, sometimes it's nice to get your mind off of basketball for a bit because you'll see people implode if they think about basketball 24-7. Now, does that mean he should continue on this trend? No. I'm saying like, I'm just saying you know let the guy re- let the kid relax a little bit. He's in his 30s. Um, and he's older than you. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but uh, relax a little bit. But yeah, this trend should not continue much further. Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, like I get that. I I and you know the people who are like when when a pro athlete is like out at dinner or. Um, like they're they're doing something relaxing on vacation. And they're like, get back to work. And it's like, dude, you can have a couple weeks off. It's been a month and a half. It's been a well, maybe not a month and a half. It's been five six weeks. I mean, I would hope that he's still at least working out, keeping himself in shape. I guess maybe, but I would think a part of that would be picking up a basketball for a guy who is a professional basketball Fair, player. Yeah. So it's like, I get it. Like you know, you want to take a couple weeks off for vacation? That's fine. How has he not even picked up a basketball once to go to like the gym? I I don't know. That seems weird to me. Uh, okay, next up, in case of the Mondays, peace in golf. Peace in golf is uh, maybe no more because of this old LIV event that started up with the Saudi-owned, uh, funded, backed golf event. You have all these guys coming over. They're getting so much freaking money, and they're only playing three rounds. They do, like, shotgun events, so it's not like this staggered start where everybody starts on the first hole. They all start at once, and it creates... Uh, kind of more of a dramatic and, and maybe more enjoyable TV viewing experience. I didn't watch any of this, to be clear. And, um, you know, I'll be honest, like, I'm very much someone who thinks it's silly when people will, like, protest, like, oh, I won't go see that movie because I hate Tom Cruise or something like that. Right. Or, like, or, like, I won't go to that restaurant because X happened. There are certain lines that I would stop that at though and this is one of them um like Saudi Arabia is not a good place um people just get executed like a lot of people over the course of the year for like silly things like the the rights for women um 
are just not there, like can't like drive and stuff. Like there's a lot of bad stuff going on there. And a lot of that money has been very corrupt. Um, so yeah, this is something that I'm not interested in getting involved with. But these guys are making so much money. Like even it's a no cut event, unlike the PGA, where if you don't make the cut, you don't make any money, right? In this event, even the guy who finishes last made like $120,000, which is more than you're going to make for maybe even like a top 20 in a lot of different PGA Tour events. Can you imagine um, if this was a thing when Happy Gilmore came out? Because <laughs> then the plot would change drastically. Right, right. Man, Shooter McGavin would be the biggest enemy of all time on the uh, LIV tour. Um, so, anyway, we get Rory McIlroy wins the uh, Canadian Open this past weekend, which is part of the PGA Tour. And he, uh, he did not pull any punches. Uh, first of all, he made it very known that he had just surpassed Greg Norman who Greg Norman, all-time great golfer, is like basically uh, been appointed as the CEO of this LIV golf event. And this win for Rory put him ahead of him in all-time PGA Tour wins. Uh, Rory definitely managed to, you know, one quote that he gave, we're with the top players in the world. He said, uh, one more than someone else. That was in reference to Greg Norman. He, he was uh, letting it go. And, you know, Justin Thomas had some comments after. You can tell that this is going to become a rivalry thing. And I'll say this. Like I said, I'm not happy about the the Saudi Arabian fund thing here with the LIV tour and that I'm not really going to watch the LIV events. But there could be some positives that come out of this for the PGA tour. Like I said, what if we find out that the shotgun start thing makes the whole golf broadcast right. world and, and that sort of thing like more enjoyable? Or what if this leads to... You know, guys getting paid even for not making the cut, which that could possibly be a good thing, or just leads to the PGA Tour paying out higher salaries for these events and more guys being committed to the PGA Tour. Um, there's probably going to be more guys who end up leaving for the LIV event the more these big checks start to pass through. So I'm curious what it eventually looks like, and I'm curious if this thing lasts. Certainly they have the money to make it last, but if there's not the interest, if there's not the... Um, you know, potential TV deals, which I'm sure eventually there will be because somebody's just going to be like, I don't care. It's going to make us a lot of money. Um, then I don't know how long it's going to last. But, you know, for right now, competition could breed uh, good possible things. Last up, case of the Mondays, childhood games because Squid Games 2 is officially coming to Netflix. Um, you were telling me off the break, you, you watched the first couple episodes, couldn't get into it. No. My I, girlfriend loved it. I thought it was really good. Um... You know, I didn't think it was, like, one of the best things I've ever seen, but, you know, it was good. I'm excited for season two. I also got tipped off to uh, Scott Chasen, friend of the show, uh, mentioned to watch Alice in Borderland, which is, like, a kind of uh, interesting twisted-off version of it. Now, I should say that's, like, that came out before Squid Game, so you could say maybe Squid Game is, like, a twisted-off version of that. It's different, similar in certain ways. Um, th that's pretty good, so... Uh, I'm excited for it, but I'm curious what other childhood games they're going to ruin. Obviously, the one that everybody can think of now is Red Light, Green Light. And anytime you think of if somebody's like, hey, the game Red Light, Green Light, the first thing that pops in my mind is the creepy doll lady turning around and going, <laughs> Red Light, Green Light. I have, a, I have a feeling they're either going to ruin Duck, Duck, Goose or Red Rover. <laughs> Something that, like that. Both of those would be good. Both yeah. of those would be good. But you're right. like It's, it's going to ruin a childhood game for me, which... Should I really care? Am I playing these childhood games? No, not really, but, you know. Imagine Lethal Tag. 
freeze tag, but in the literal sense. This is we should we should maybe do like a top ten of ideas of childhood games they could use for Squid Game Two. <laughs> you know, you have like tag, but it's with like knives or something right. like that. He is Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. That's Case in the Mondays. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Uh, we'll play some more Bell Self audio coming for you on the other side. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear. Plus, they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Quarter till five. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Uh, some news for today for the Kansas City Chiefs. Jarek McKinnon has signed a one-year deal with the Kansas City Chiefs. I would imagine that pretty much buttons up the running back position for the Chiefs. I, I kind of thought it would have been buttoned up even before then, um, which I was a little bummed that to that point he hadn't re-signed and he had such a good postseason run with the team. He, fe- he felt like such a good fit for the offense with his ability to you know use his speed and, and catch passes out of the backfield. A um, little bit of an older guy has had his injury concerns, so you don't ever go into a season with a guy like him and say, yeah, we're expecting 300 carries or whatever from him, but certainly seemed like he would be a good fit for the Chiefs. And, you know, they went out and they signed Ronald Jones from Tampa Bay, who seems to be a, a good little piece to have there. Um, you obviously have Clyde Edwards-Alaire back. You uh, bring back Derek Gore, who who showed some flashes from last season. And then you, you go out and use a, a, albeit low pick, but a seventh-round pick on Isaiah Pacheco, who has all sorts of speed from the running back position. Uh, I don't know if you can expect all of those guys to make the roster now. I mean, that's five legit guys. Now, maybe they view it as like, well, Pacheco's also a punt and kick returner, and uh, some of these guys can impact special teams. So I don't know how they would view that. And like maybe in the case of McKinnon, you can you know use him at, at some formations as like a slot receiver. I, I don't know, but um, I'm excited to see him back in the fold because, like I said, he seemed to be really good for the Chiefs in the limited time we saw him. Yeah, I'm excited too. You know, he's he was great at you know those little slip screens and just throwing mm-hmm. out of the flats as the very last option, especially when Mahomes is in trouble. So I think he's I think it's a great get. Um, I'm sure they didn't, you know, have to spend too much money on him as well. I think his last contract is only about one million per year, something like that. So I'm sure they didn't have to use too much on him. So I think it's great. I think it's awesome to bring him back, and uh, I, I'm interested to see if they'll do anything more uh, from him, or if we'll see anything more from him, like uh, rather than what we saw last year. Yeah, and one-year deals—you can never have a bad one-year deal, essentially. Um, so that's the case. I'll be interested to see how the pecking order goes at running back. Like I said, like you could convince me he is the best running back on the roster, but because of his durability in the past, he might get used the third most or something like that. It, it just kind of all depends. Right. Uh, Magic Johnson, Irvin Johnson, is predicting a big-time game from uh, Draymond Green tonight. Draymond Green has really struggled. I brought up the stat on, on Friday that I saw on social media that you know he's averaging less points per game 
than the average podcast rating he was getting out yeah. of five stars. Well, <laughs> that went down even more because I think he only had two points in yep. game four. Um, but Magic Johnson's bullish. He says, I'm looking forward to a triple-double from Draymond Green tomorrow. I think uh, it's it might be wishful thinking because of the Michigan State yeah, uh, that's what it is. connection. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Uh, I, just, I just think it's funny because Magic Johnson is like the king of these like tweets that it's like you know i you didn't need to tweet that um like <laughs> like well his, his twitter account i just don't understand because it's like he's announcing the news to everybody and we're like we we see it too dude yeah no exactly that, that's the best way of putting it that's the best way of putting it like that for instance when, when they they won that game steph curry continues his dominant play putting up 43 points and 10 rebounds to lead the warriors 107 to 97 over the celtics he got some help tonight from clay thompson with 18 points and wiggins 17 points and 16 rebounds like, exactly right it's like a news story that he's just like <laughs> tweeting out it's just like a news headline so it's like what are you doing welcome um, you back to the magic johnson network <laughs> right exactly so i just think it's funny that him of all people is like going out on a limb predicting something we don't normally see that from uh magic johnson is draymond green washed is he done is this like the end of him? Is this just a bad matchup? I, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know either, man. Uh, he has more. He has more point. He has more fouls than points. Oh, I think it's so what bad. seventeen points, nineteen fouls, or something mm. like that. Right now, it's not good. Um, I don't know what you have to change. I'm I, I'm honestly just. I I kept a close eye on him in Game Four, and I just. Don't know what there is to change. I, I don't know if he's, he's doing like great on the. Or? He's, doing the he's doing great in the assist column, like he yeah. always has. He's averaging, I think, five or six assists per game in the finals. But getting some rebounds. Yeah. Other than that, but like he's he's not even like typically over the regular season. He was like one of the best defensive players in the NBA, and like he's not even been that in the finals. So I, I don't know if he's not healthy. If this is just a bad matchup or or what the deal is. Uh, the key for tonight, though. So this number has been brought up many times. Boston has. I think it's 12 or 13 wins. Yeah, it's got to be 13. They have 13 wins compared to, I think it's two or three losses when they turn the ball over less than 15 times per game. They are one in six when they turn the ball over 15 or more times in a game. And, you know, it. of course, it it's easy to just say, well, obviously, if you're turning the ball over a lot, that's going to hinder your chances to win. The Warriors, though, have not been good over the course of like the last handful of seasons, even as dominant as they've been at turnover numbers. Like you go in and look at all these great warrior teams and you look at the the turnover per game numbers, like they, they don't fare very well in a lot of these. So it, it means a little bit more to Boston because they play such a defensive style that if you're giving up free possessions where it's not just limiting your offense because take away that trip down the court, it's also leading to, you know, of the 15 turnovers, if X amount of those lead to live ball turnovers, which lead to easy dunks or easy layups or transition opportunities for the Warriors, those are going to be inherently a lot easier possessions than in the half court against that grade of a defense. So it means a lot tonight, and that's been the case. The two games that they've lost in the finals, 15 or more turnovers, two games that they've won, they've been under that. That's kind of the difference there. Yeah. But um, Steph has been has been awesome. He's probably the the finals MVP right now. Wiggins has been really good. That game four he had, you saw the second jump. He ends up with 17 points, 16 rebounds. 16 rebounds is a career high, regular season and post. That's crazy. And to do it in that stage, right. in that moment, um, is pretty impressive. Someone else has to step up for them. Someone else has to step up. Boston hasn't been beat back-to-back -back games in the NBA playoffs so far. I, I It has to be someone else. It has to be Klay Thompson. It has to be Jordan Poole. It has to be... Uh, pick your other Golden State player. That's the key to me. If Boston's able to keep limiting these other players, 
Um, if Golden State picks up from someone else, like outside of the turnover numbers, but I don't know what else to say other than if they turn it over a lot, um, that's kind of the key to me. Yeah, I agree. Clay started catching fire in the second half, but obviously it was all Steph Curry from the jump. It's obviously just the, the question is just going to be who could show out for 48 minutes and who can really help out, you know, this warrior offense and defense because, you know, you can it can be spotty here and there. And, you know, Steph kind of carried the whole team on his back yesterday with 43 points, which is absolutely insane. Well, and here's the flip side to that. If, if somebody else doesn't step up, then for the Warriors, for instance, you're at, li- you're at risk of, okay, what happens if Steph just has a 20-point game? Right. You know what I mean? And if that happens and nobody else steps up, you're kind of done. Or, flip side to that, Steph keeps playing like he is. Nobody ste- else steps up for the Warriors outside of, you know, solid play from Andrew Wiggins. And it's like, what if Jason Tatum goes for 45 points? Then mm-hmm. that kind of neutralizes the Steph impact, and then those kind of role players for Boston usurp Golden State unless we see something more tonight. Um so if the other players for the Warriors can't get going, even though it is a tied series right now, even though Golden State just won the big game four on the road, even though they have two of the next three at home, it's hard for me seeing the Warriors winning this series without sizable contributions from those other guys. I agree wholeheartedly. Now, the the scorebooks say that they're the favorites now to win the title, which it was a totally big-time jump from it being Boston to now Golden State. But I agree with you. I'm not quite convinced yet because as, as big of a game that Steph had, they only won by 10. And it was close for the majority of the game. And I think for, like for both of their wins, they had to come back. I'm, not, I'm just not convinced, Derek. I just have more faith in the Celtics role players right now. And, you know, it's, it's, I, I trust Steph Curry. He's going to probably put up a big game. I trust Andrew Wiggins. Outside of that, I don't know who else I can trust for the Warriors where I look at the Celtics and, you know, it's not that I trust like Marcus Smart or Al Horford that they're going to go off and hit all these shots game to game, but I kind of trust that one of the two will, or, or maybe if you want to make it like add in Derek White, that one of the three will go off and, right. or or be able to shoot well. Like, yeah, probably. Or that, you know, Robert Williams or Grant Williams, like one of them will have a big impact. You know, I trust that probably one of the two very well could, whereas with the Warriors, it's like, yeah, Draymond Green could get benched again, or Clay Thompson might just not be able to hit anything, or Jordan Poole might be a turnstile on the defensive side of the court. Now, if all those things go right, because that's kind of me looking at it from a worst-case scenario for Golden State and more of a best-case scenario for Boston, um, there's certainly high potential there that if all that, that clicks for the Warriors, that they would be just fine. But I kind of view... Like, in the same way that Game 4 was, in my eyes, if the Warriors lose the series over, I think I kind of view whoever wins tonight. Um, uh, you think no, I, whoever wins will win the series? No, I... Because I, I'll be honest, I, I kind of just think Boston's going to win the series. I okay. Even if the Warriors win tonight, I see Boston winning Game 6. I kind of like Boston in Game 7. Um, I do, yeah. I, I was hmm. about to say, I do like the Warriors' fight. I honestly think, here's my prediction. If the Warriors win tonight, the series will end in six and the Warriors will win. If Boston wins tonight, I think there will be a game seven. I think that's my prediction. Just given how, we, we talked about it before, game six clay. Yeah. It's absolutely phenomenal. Obviously, we're yet to see a career game out of clay in this NBA finals. Um, 
you know, I think tonight is probably, without a doubt, the biggest game so far. Without a doubt. Because what is it? I think the teams that win game five in a tied series end up winning the series 70-something percent of the time. I think it was like 72 or something. Yeah. It's a, it's a hefty number. Are you taking the Warriors tonight? Are you taking the Celtics tonight? I don't know, man. The line is Golden State minus four. I, it's, a, it's it's at Golden State, right? Yes. Okay. Um, which Many does, people have pointed which, out, though, it's which not does nearly the home court environment yeah, <laughs> was, that it was at, over yeah. at Oracle. It does nothing now, because especially because both teams split one at home, one on right. the road so far. Ah, man. I'm... I'm gonna go with Boston. I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go with Boston. Um, you know they they have some. They have a little bit of cleaning up to do, which I know they've worked on a lot in the past couple of days. I think Al Horford could step up once again. Jason Tatum's still playing out of his gore. He's he's still absolutely phenomenal, and he's growing into a star before our eyes. It just kind of depends on what Derek White can do, what Jalen Brown can do, what Marcus Smart can do. I think they could have stepped it up a little bit more. Um, on Friday, and I think they could step it up tonight. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with Boston. Will it be a one possession game though, or a single uh, digit game? <laughs> nah, it ended up turning not. into a ten point game when yeah. it looked single digits for the majority of the fourth quarter. No, that's the thing. I think you can bet on like um, I, I can't wait for there to be sports betting in Kansas. By the way, right. um, you can bet on like final score, so you can be like. The Warriors will win by 10-plus or something, and you might be able to get plus odds of that. I would honestly at this point just be betting every game, like both sides, to win 10-plus. Right. And Because you probably still get plus odds. It just would cut them in half at that point because that's probably what's going to end up happening. But, yeah, I just if, – if Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum go off and nobody else for the Warriors steps up then more than what we've seen so far, Celtics win that game. If the Celtics role players step up, Celtics win that game. The only way this happens is if Steph goes what he did in Boston, which like he's been great all series. If he does what he did in Boston, that's even another level up. So he has to either do that or like Clay Thompson or whoever else has to step up. And I'm I'm just not so confident that's gonna happen. He's Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. NBA game five of the finals coming up tonight. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Coming up on the other side, John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant is going to join us. We're going to talk some KU football, KU football recruiting with John. That coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We'll be right back after this timeout on RCST. Joined by John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant. They have a another great offer still going on uh, where you can sign up at, at no cost up until uh, football season here. So, John, a big weekend that was for KU football. Three commitments over the weekend from Friday night through Sunday. Uh, I, I want to start with uh, Siraz Bunkum or, or Boonkum. You can correct me how to say that, but uh, he's got great size at the receiver position, comes over from California. What does he bring to the table with his commitment for KU? You know, he, Derek, he's an interesting story. Um, you know, he comes from a line in his family with football, his grandfather, was inducted into the San Diego Chargers Hall of Fame, was a, a, a very good player in the NFL. His, his dad's a defensive coordinator at the high school level right now, and his brother uh, started at Stanford at safety. So, I mean, you know, football's kind of running his family. Um, you know, you know it's, he, he plays corner and receiver. He plays both 
both sides of the ball for his team, who won the California State Championship at their uh, classification. And and to, to even show you how good of an athlete he is, he's been a baseball player all of his life. And then this this spring, he ran track, and he went ten five eight and a hundred and six foot three in the high jump. <laughs> and so he, you know, this is like a hobby, right? I mean, he, he leaves baseball and then goes to track this spring and puts up those kind of numbers. So, you know, at six foot four to be doing that, it just shows you what he can do athletically, and and, and obviously why he had a lot of offers and people looking at him. So, you know, he he's a pretty good start to the wide receiver group. Let's say that. Yeah, and he's he's from California, like I said. Um, that was something that. We, we actually saw a good amount from Mark Mangino's days of recruiting California. Now, it wasn't like the main pipeline or where they were getting a majority of the kids, but outside of, say, I don't know, Texas, Oklahoma, and, and Kansas, like California was certainly up there as, as one of the more recruited places for Kansas in the Mangino days. Um, is California a place you think the staff wants to find talent from consistently, or is this more of just a, a one-off that they happen to find or hear about from some sort of connection? Well, no, I think they're going to look, you know, I, I think they want to look regionally first, right? And, and most colleges will always tell you that, okay? But at Kansas, you know, with with, with the local recruiting, and, and, and there's some challenges there, and, you know, it's not because their effort, they, they have put a lot of effort into local players. But, you know, Derek, I always joke with people when it comes down to, you know, the lack of getting local players right now, okay, the NCAA doesn't feel sorry for Kansas or give them a different set of rules than everybody else, and they've got to fill a class up of, you know, 25 players. So if you're not going to get kids in your own backyard, you still got to build a program and keep moving forward. So I don't, I don't think any state's off the limits, okay? I mean, they're going to have a kid visiting this weekend from New York. They're going to have a guy in from, from Florida this weekend. So uh, – you know, it, it's just it's they're going to have to go where they can get players, and they have Jordan Peterson, for example, was at Fresno State. I mean, they've got they send coaches to recruit California. They've they've looked there for the junior college ranks as well. So I don't I don't think any state is off the board. We're talking with John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. The next commit that I want to talk about, Jared Sample, he is a, another receiver at that position there. Um, doesn't, I guess, necessarily, when you look at the, the offer sheet, have a ton of those big Power 5 offers, although you know Houston is going to be Power 5 uh, by the time he comes to college in 2023, which that was an offer. Um, but just looking at that, is that more of a, a bet on what he can turn into in his senior year of high school and develop into, or is that more so KU kind of finding a guy that they think is a diamond in the rough? Yeah, you know, there was a, the, he, he had a lot of interest, and I think there were some other schools, too, that were very high on him. They just hadn't offered him yet, and he plays in a very good league. There's a lot of talent down in that area, and I think the big thing with him, Derek, when you watch him on film, he, he can run. And, I mean, he runs away from some pretty good corners on film. So he's got he's got legit power five speed. He's good in the open field. You know, he's a deep ball threat. And, it, you know, again, it's just it's one of those things. I'll tell you what the big connection there is, and I think this was huge for him. Okay, Terrence Samuel is from that area. He's from Houston. Jordan Peterson has recruited that area for a long time. So Peterson kind of found him early. Samuel 
came in as the recruiter picked up on him. So you've got two coaches who know the Houston area. They're very familiar with it. They've lived there. So that means a lot to these kids because Sample told me when coaches can come and talk about some restaurant down the street from you or some place close to your home and they know your home and where you're from, that means a lot in recruiting. And that was one of the big selling points for him. Um, when I look at the the receiver list, uh, the roster for KU, uh, you don't have any seniors currently, at least I believe from what I'm looking at. Um, we've heard from Lance Leipold, I think earlier this offseason, talking about how uh, they felt like they were a little over allocated in terms of scholarship numbers at the receiver position, and that that just happens. You went from one scheme to another. Um but now I see them taking on two receiver commits for the class of 2023. Uh, what do you think that means? Is that a is that an indication that these kids are just that good that they don't really care? Is it that they don't feel great about the current receiver room? Is it that um, you know this this is something to do with maybe they have worked the scholarship numbers down? Uh, what do you kind of make of of that where originally it felt over scholarshiped to now taking on a couple of guys in that position room? Well, Derek, there's a lot of ways you can look at it, okay? I mean, there's, there's, hey, here's a recruiting board. And one thing that I know about KU and this staff and the way they operate, they're extremely detailed, they're extremely organized, and they're not going to vary a lot from what they have in front of them, okay? So when, when you walk in there, you're going to see a big board, and it's going to say, here's how many kids we've got on scholarship. Here's how many kids we could expect to lose. Here's our recruiting board. Here's where we need to be, right? I mean, they it's, it's laid out to detail. Now, I don't think that they, at one point, were going to take more than two wide receivers, okay? So they've got two now. Now, the interesting thing to kind of turn your attention to will be late Tuesday night when Keaton Kubeka comes out and makes a decision, and, you know, we're going to see what that could happen. But, I mean, you're talking a kid here who's the, you know, was one of the leading receivers at Austin-Westlake, which is the number two ranked high school program in America in pretty much every poll. And, you know, Quebec is a 6'3", 200-pound kid, and he's going to announce tomorrow night. And, I mean, if he chooses Kansas, okay, I think that's where they start to maybe shift or play with a number here or two because I don't think they can afford – to pass up on somebody like that. So that's going to be interesting to watch to see if that number now bumps to three wide receivers on what he does. Talking with John Kirby, the third uh, commitment over the weekend, uh, I don't know if it's pronounced Tristan or Tristian Fletcher, comes over from the JUCO level. So while those other two guys we mentioned with the receivers, they're 2023, this uh, will impact class 2022, so therefore be on the team for this next season. And he has, you know, this has been kind of a common theme with the guys that KU has brought on in, in terms of the transfer portal, whether it's been JUCO or whatever. He, he's that early qualifier, so he can have three years left of play potentially with KU. I think there's another year there that if he redshirted as well. Uh, what's kind of the story on Fletcher and, and what KU's plans for him are? Yeah, he yeah, very, very interesting prospect because – he was a he was a running back, Derek, up until like midway through his senior year in high school, and they came to him and said, "You know, would you want to play linebacker?" So he makes the move to linebacker 
finishes the year out. I can't remember. I think it was that he ended up with like 80 tackles. He ends up being chosen first team all district, which is, again, is a, is a good district of football in Texas where he's from. He goes to Trinity Valley Community College. He said he went in pretty much with the expectations that he would redshirt. They end up putting him in. At the time they put him in, I think they're ranked fourth in the nation in the JUCO polls. Then a kid got hurt in front of him. He ends up playing the rest of the year, has like 77 tackles, okay? And he's a full qualifier. So that means, that means he is, he's eligible to leave and go somewhere right now. Oh, Louisiana Tech got on him, brought him in for a visit. Nebraska was talking to him. They were close to offering him, bringing up on a visit. They kind of strung him along a little bit. I think Louisiana Tech waited for him, filled their position, so he committed to Sam Houston State. And then KU ran across this film, and I know TCU did too. They liked him, but I think their their linebacker room, they ended up saying, we've got enough guys on scholarship, so TCU passed on him. Kansas watched him, loved him, brought him in for a visit. He commits on the visit. Um, you know, 5'11", 6' foot tall, 200-some pounds, and he can flat-out run. I mean, Derek, when you turn his film on, I don't know that there's a KU linebacker right now on the team who gets to the ball as fast as he does now. He's still going to, you know, he's got a lot of learning to do. He's only been playing linebacker for maybe one full season. The great thing about him is he's a four for three prospect. So he is like a high school recruit. You're going to have him in the program if you need him for four years. What you could do with him is play him four games this year, okay, redshirt him, and then bring him back, and he's got three more full years in the program. So that's what I think makes him intriguing is he's four for three, and he's only played linebacker for probably one full year in his career. One commitment that KU didn't get over the weekend but seemed to go well, and this is obviously a big target for KU, especially being right here over at Free State High School, was Calvin Clements. Uh, is KU in a good spot there? How, how do you think the visit went over the weekend? Yeah, I talked to Calvin. He, he said it went really well. You know, and, and the thing with, with Calvin that's hard to figure out, Derek, on the visit is he already knows KU, right? I mean, he's been, excuse me, he's been on campus several times. He's He lives right down the road. He's friends with Scott Fuchs, the offensive line coach at KU. So I don't know. Like, and I kind of talked with Calvin about this. I said, you know, what, what can you learn on an official visit two nights, staying over, that you didn't already know? And, and, you know, there's not a lot. He already knows so much about the program. So it sounds like he's still going to take his visit to Kansas State, and then he's going to take a visit to Baylor. And then, you know, you're gonna, it's going to be a waiting game. You're going to have to kind of figure out, and he's going to take his visits and then come back and weigh his options. So... He's one of those guys I think you just have to be patient with and see which way he goes. Do you think any upcoming news that, that we're going to have? You mentioned you know, the, the upcoming commitment on Tuesday night. Uh, do you think at this point most of the upcoming news is going to more so center on the class of 2023 than it will the class of 2022? Well, they're, they're still waiting on a 2022 defensive end um, out of California, Dean Miller. He's a rush end, 6'5", 225. He's down to KU in Indiana. I, I like him a lot. 
I, I, again, he's a four for three. And his decision, boy, it's starting to be strung out. I, I thought he was going to make this thing a week ago because he's eligible to leave right now and be on a college campus. And, you know, everybody's got their teams on campus working out right now. So, uh, and, and I want to shift gears on you in the 2023 class. You know, a, a couple kids I'm starting to feel good about that just visited this weekend. Uh, Tony Terry, he's a 6'5", 250-pound defensive end from Jackson, Missouri. Um, He's got a lot of offers. He's got some other people pretty heavy on him. I feel really good. I, I think KU's in a good good spot for him. And I'll tell you, after just talking with Logan Brantley out in, in Colorado, I think KU's in good shape with him. Um, you know, he was down to Washington State, Colorado, and Kansas. And just from talking to him, Colorado could be out. So, I mean, if he backs off that visit and cancels it and then makes a decision here in the next three weeks, I, I think the Jayhawks are very much in play. So, I mean, this could this last weekend of visits could really catapult that 2023 class into, into moving up. He is John Kirby, and, yeah, I, uh, I, I want them to, to land that one DN. He went to my uh, high school in Southern California, so it's always nice to have some – some Valencia High kids come out here, but nonetheless, there you uh, go. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, you can get the uh, access code promo code Slant twenty two for free Jayhawk Slant until fall football camp. So check that out with uh, Jayhawk Slant and through Rivals and everything. John, I appreciate the time for for hopping on, and um, maybe we'll be talking to you soon if there's some more big KU football news. Hey, Derek, have a good day, man. That was John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it.